The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and a desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to your coaching, so there's always somebody available to answer your questions and to help you adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, the ITL Coaching and Performance website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the United States or outside the United States, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayerX, www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayerX offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legal enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gel, try SlayerX's new Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, PLEASANT2019. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello everybody and Happy New Year. A quick cold open here before we get into our year in review podcast with Michelle to solicit volunteers for race reports in 2020. You'll recall that last year in 2019 we had a series of podcasts where we talked to athletes who were going to be doing big target races. We talked to them about how they prepared for it and the expectations they had for the race and any anxieties they might be feeling before the race. And then after they had completed the race, we circled back around with them. We talked to them about how the race went, maybe some surprises that happened along the way, and what was going to be next on their calendar. We'd like to do that again in 2020. So if you're willing to be interviewed by me for the podcast about a race that you're doing both beforehand and afterwards, uh, we would really appreciate that. Drop me a line, george at itlcoaching.com, or just send it to pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can always find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter as well. So anybody willing to do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Thanks. On with the show. Thanks.
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Michelle Frank, and I'm an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Michelle, I put it out to everybody the last time that you were on the podcast what we should call you. You told me that. And, and well, did I tell you what my favorite response was? Um, I think so. <laughs> well, so, so my favorite response was from Katie Ferguson, who was one of our guests last year on the podcast. And she said, well, I always just thought of her as the cool older girl. Yeah, we debated this when we ran Sunday because I was a year older than her in high school, but I was not nearly as cool as her. So evidently you were. We had a back and forth. So evidently were. So so cool older girl Michelle Frank. Thank you for being back on the podcast once again. Here happy to be here. Yeah, um, uh, Michelle and I are going to be talking about some of our our biggest stories or the biggest stories by our judgment uh, that took place in 2019. You'll recall that. Uh, Patrick and I actually did a 2019 Strava review or like a review of, of what happened with Strava. And Michelle, even though she's on Strava, Strava's not really your favorite thing. No, I joined Strava because you told me to get on there instead of asking you about your workouts. It, it definitely didn't go down that way. Yes, it did. I said, George, do you do these workouts also? And you said, well, if you were on Strava, you would know that for yourself. Oh, okay. Well, see, that makes it sound far less snarky. Well, you could just tell me if we do the same workouts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but having spent time on Strava, do you and I do the same workouts? We do do some of them. Right. I do uh, feel the unison and the suffering sometimes, yes. All right, very good, very good. There are a couple of workouts that I've done lately that we're going to be talking about throughout the course of this podcast because they are germane to the topics that we will be discussing. So, biggest stories of the year. You and I talked about this just a little bit, and I think one of the biggest stories of the year was, of course, the Nike Oregon Project. No doubt about it. Um, Nike Origin Project, Alberto Salazar's four-year suspension, the aftermath of what that meant from, you know, his athletes coming forward and detailing how they might have been doping and the illegal measures that they took in order to gain performance advantages. And that kind of spiraled into the athletes coming forward, talking about emotional, physical abuse from him. Um, we even saw a walkout of a few hundred employees on the yeah. Nike campus in Beaverton, Oregon, which is shocking because nobody really goes up against Nike, especially when they're your employer. Right. Um, so I would say in the world of, yeah, running Nike Oregon Project was probably the story this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And and it's worth mentioning the reason why the walkout happened or the, the context of the walkout is because they were rededicating the Alberto Salazar building on the Nike campus. Yeah, you know, you would think that it maybe the we're not ready to strip his name off of the building, but at a time when he's just been suspended for four years right. for doping violations exactly. and you have people calling for independent investigations of the abuse that he was, you know, he kind of masterminded maybe rededicating the building with his name on it, it wasn't the exact appropriate time to do that. Right. Um, so, yeah, kudos to the Nike employees who took a stand for that because I'm sure those who chose to walk uh, did not do so easily. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. They, 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 they walked and they were carrying signs and, and all sorts of things like that. I totally agree with you. I don't see, and this is the thing that I've been confused about the whole time, and, and, and I, I would like to hear what more you have to say about this. I don't see, I, can, I don't see why Nike continues to stand by him. For, for, for one thing. But then this is not just a standing by him. This is like this is like a doubling down on their endorsement of him to rededicate the building. You don't have to rededicate a building, do you? Or do you? It honestly seems like it was just something that was scheduled on a calendar and nobody thought twice about it. It right. seems almost like a stupid oversight. I would, that's what I would like to believe. 
Yeah. Instead of they went out of their way to rededicate this building <laughs> to this specific man. <laughs> right. But I mean, it's not like christening a ship. Like you don't have to dedicate a building, do you? I mean, you can just open it. Right? It already has his name on it, so I'm right. not sure why we were, you know, right. dedicating it. Right. I mean, and so, so I think you're right that the most charitable interpretation is that they had it on a calendar and, and they just didn't ask the right person or run it by the right person. And they're like, somebody sent out the, the staff email that we're rededicating this building. And happily, you know, 100 or so of the women that work for the company said, you know what? Not okay with this. And they staged okay. a walkout. Um, but, but that kind of it cuts to the heart of the reason why I'm having such a hard time with it my, myself that that Nike despite the fact that 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 he has some pretty compelling evidence against him that, that that he crossed the line when it came to doping a couple of times and despite the fact there's some pretty compelling evidence that that he fostered and maintained a culture of abuse um, towards female athletes centered on their weight specifically um, it it they just kind of continue to stand by him and that bothers me they do seem to continue to stand by him. And I think until, you know, there's something super concrete that kind of divides or severs their relationship forever, um, they probably feel some sort of obligation to stand by him because as long as they do that, then it's almost like an omission of guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just seems kind of what they're doing. Um, until well, they're forced to acknowledge the fact that, you know, he did, we'll see, he's on appeal. Right. Like his four year suspension is on appeal. So technically he's not really he's kind of still in limbo. So. So what, what do you what do you think it would take? What do you think would force that? I think the appeal has to be denied. And I think that the biggest thing that I, a lot of people are waiting for right now is uh, a multitude of people have called for an independent investigation of Alberto Salazar and the right. Nike Oregon Project and the abuse that he's been accused of. Um, and once that happens, it seems like there's more than justifiable evidence that he would be found guilty. And then I think Nike would kind of be forced to sever ties with him. Okay. Um, but I think as long as, you know, they're paying for his counsel and you can say that it's on appeal and there's no third party independent investigation, they seem to be staying the course with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, I also wonder, and, and, uh, I don't have a lot of experience in corporate America, and I know that you do. Is there a degree to which you think that they're just kind of trying to ride it out? I think there's always that degree, but by the way, I don't really work in corporate America. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, but, 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 but you work with corporate people. You work I, with corporate America. I think if they don't saying? have to bear the burden of his guilt, then they're not going to do it on their own. And I think that ultimately they're going to still try to sell their products and the dollar speaks more than anything. So as long as, you know, people keep buying and people keep supporting them and they feel like they have the power, then I think that they would just kind of write it out because if you think about the history of these things, I mean, eventually time makes everything that was once headline news on every front page of every newspaper and website, it disappears. Um, So they have the power and they have the money to write it out, you know? And see, and I wonder about that. And the reason why I'm, and I'm asking that for purely personal reasons, <laughs> because, because as we've talked about, because you don't know what shoes you're wearing in it, March. Absolutely. <laughs> but because, because we're now less than eight weeks from my next marathon. We're less than two weeks from my, my tune up half marathon. Um, and I would prefer of course, to, to wear a pair of shoes in my tune up half marathon than I'm wearing in the marathon. Um, and I'm still not feeling great about the swoosh. I'm still not feeling great about wearing vapor flies here. So what about the black tie dye option? So the black tie dye, tell me what that is. We saw that picture that 
they took the shoes and they dyed them black. Okay, so I have... You got all the details. I, I Well, kind of. So 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 I, I've researched how to actually, like, DIY, DIY do-it-yourself, like, spray paint a pair of shoes. Oh, my God. Right? I, I've researched that, and, and you have to realize that you're sitting across the table right now from one of the least crafty people that you know. Like, the like do-it-yourself, crafty, handyman type stuff, not my bailiwick. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't touch a do-it-yourself art project for a million dollars either. So. Right, and I'm talking about doing it on a $250 pair of shoes. So, so I'm a little nervous about that. But you're going to run a faster marathon. Chances are highly likely in those shoes. So maybe you hire somebody to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, to, to do it themselves. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. You don't yeah. have to tell anyone. I mean, yeah, you can I, tell I don't know. So, world, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, and so, but, 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 so here's the thing that the reason why I ask you about why they're trying to ride it out is because you know time has gone on, and of course, you know, we had this this break over the holidays where we weren't podcasting and talking about it as much, and and where we were paying attention to Santa Claus and Rudolph and not paying attention as much to, to, to Mary Kane and the Vaporflies. And, and I'm not feeling as fired up about it as I was. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I'm wondering if that's, and, and I feel like I'm like falling prey to their marketing and their, and their strategy of just writing about, just, just all these people like George Darden, they're just complaining about it. We, if we just sit quiet and don't say anything, he's going to forget about it because he's going to wear his Vaporflies for, for the Tokyo Marathon. I mean, the opposite is, don't make the statement that you're not going to wear the shoes so that when you I do haven't. wear them, <laughs> I haven't. it's not that big of a deal. All right, so, so point taken. Like, and, and I haven't actually said I'm not going to. I'm saying I'm troubled. I'm saying Fair. I'm troubled. I think we're all troubled. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely switched. I've been, you know, a very uh, big supporter of their trail shoes, and I don't have any more now. So mm-hmm. there's nothing left in my six-shoe rotation right now um, mm-hmm. that's Nike except for a pair of Vaporflies from a year and a half ago. Right. They really still have some decent mileage on them, so I know. you're probably going to see me wearing them. I know, I know. So I still have my old ones, and then I, I bought, over about a year ago, I bought a second pair at, at, a, at a cheaper price, and so I have an unused pair right now. So I have my pair in waiting. Yeah. I think yeah. I can separate this better than you can, so, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Um, so over over the, the last few months, I've done some 5Ks and 10Ks and that kind of thing. And my my ITL shirt that I like to race in is a Nike shirt. And I want to represent ITL, but I don't want to represent Nike. So I've actually duct taped over it. I recently got some black duct tape So because for my big A races, I like to wear black singlets. And so I can put the black duct tape over it. So I don't it, Solutions I, I, abound, yeah. but there's only one fastest marathoning shoe right now, and it's got a swoosh <laughs> on it, so, so, you know. Oh, man. The way that you just broke that down, that is going to be echoing in my head for the next little while. There's only one fastest marathon, marathon shoe right now, and ain't it the truth. All right. Well, we're probably going to be talking about shoes a little bit more here in just a second, because let's segue into our second biggest story of the year, and that, of course, was the sub-two-hour marathon. Yeah. Um, mm. Seeing that for the first time. You know, the whole world was watching, and we had watched an attempt about a year ago, and it didn't happen. Um, so I think everybody was kind of waiting on bended knee to see if Kipchoge could pull it out again, and, <laughs> and he did, and literally the whole world was watching. So, yeah, um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Did you watch? No, so actually. The, so the whole world but you was watching. Well, <laughs> to be fair, yeah, I mean, I think there was something with the timing. Was it a fr- Friday night this time? I don't know. I didn't it was actually, a Friday night for us. It was yes. a Saturday morning for him because so, he was in Austria. not a good time for me to be watching something when I need to be sleeping. And, Fair. But I do typically get up for the World Marathon majors mm-hmm. um, and other crazy events that I might have to stream at 3 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. Um, so I didn't watch it live, but I feel like I 
saw enough of the replays and read enough of the articles to to feel like I did, or at least be able to talk about it like I did. It's still on YouTube now, of course, because because they broadcast on YouTube, and now you can just like watch it as a regular YouTube video. But I don't have to watch YouTube because I feel like I can just watch your video from last week. What a nice segue! <laughs> yeah, You're I'm a pro, Michelle Frank. So so no, but why don't you tell us about where you ran last week? I think I will tell you about where I ran last week. So. I have a big 2020 plan, and as it happens on January 1st of 2020, I was in Vienna, Austria. What better place to be and what better place to kick off a year of running than in the spot where Elliot Kipchoge himself actually ran the sub-two-hour marathon. And how far did you run? I ran not a marathon, <laughs> but I ran for... We did debate 20 miles or two hours right. or something like I ran, that. Right? I, ran, I ran two hours, and of course when I uploaded Training Peaks, it said two hours and one second. Well, that is uh, way better than one hour, 59 <laughs> minutes, and 59 seconds. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if, I, if it would have gone under, I would have been like, oh, well, I was just trying to break two, right? But um, mm-hmm. but fortunately, fortunately, it got it right on Strava. So for the world to see there, it actually did say two hours flat. But so, so I was on a river cruise on the Danube that started in Budapest and finished outside of Munich. Um, and as it happens there on New Year's Eve, we docked in Vienna, and we docked literally under the bridge that... He started on. So how did you know exactly where to start? Great question. I watched that video I was just talking about. <laughs> and so, and, and actually it, it, it was trickier than, than, than you might think. And so, so I kind of watched the video and looked at the different thing and rewound it and then realized that in the background of the starting line, there was this big church. Okay. Um, and, and so I basically went to the spot on the bridge where I had the same angle with the church in the background of me as they did. And then I started. And here's the, one of the cool things about it, seriously, is that you ran down the bridge and then you ran to the course. And we'll talk about the course here in just a second. Okay. But, but it only took place on October 12th. It's only two and a half months ago, right. right? And so, like, all the stuff that he was running past, that they were running past, it was in the background, all that stuff's still there. Right. It's not as if you, like, you know... It's 10 years ago and the city's right. changed. Right, right. The right. structure's different. Yeah, yeah. Everything's closed down or things... Been, like, it's everything insane. was the same. Right. And so I'm running along. I was like, it's exactly the same. This is totally cool. Um, and so then I turn on to the loop. Now, the loop itself was about four kilometers down and about four kilometers back. And then it had a small roundabout on the southern end and a large roundabout on the northern end. The large roundabout on the northern end was too big. There was too much traffic, so I didn't go around that. Um, I just turned. Okay. Um, and then, um, but I did go around the one down at the bottom at Loose House down at the bottom, um, and I did three loops. Um, so he started. He started on the bridge, ran to the course, did four loops plus a quarter. Okay. It was about a quarter loop for him to get to the finish line. Okay. I started on the bridge, ran down, did three loops, and then basically ran back to the bridge and stopped it right at two hours. And is there anything left on the course? that makes you know you're in a place yes. where the first sub-two-hour marathon was run? Yes, there is. And that was actually the best part of it because there was seriously, there was a part of me, and I know you would never think this, Michelle, about me, <laughs> but I was worried, thinking about myself, worrying about what other people might think. I was like, is this too much? <laughs> like, is, is, this, is, is this too geeky to be like, I get to run? Because Does I, that exist for you? <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> It, it, it Okay, it exists like as that small voice in my head, but I don't think it actually at age 45 but influenced not any of my behavior. Definitely not Star Wars. So, so oh, no. Well, Star Wars, of course not. Come on. Um, so, which speaking of which, one of the big stories of 2019 is you starting to watch the Star Wars saga. But okay. we'll come back to that in a minute. I'll find some really good way to segue to that. Um, but anyway, um, uh, yeah, so at where the finish line is. So, so the course itself 
it is without a doubt the longest, or not longest, the flattest, straightest road I have seen in my life. Well, it's probably a good reason why they chose it. It's precisely the reason. Now, I literally turned onto it. You turn onto it at, at the top end, at the roundabout, at the Prater Stern at the top, and you can see the other end where you're going to turn around again. And it's four kilometers away. Or Yeah, it's four kilometers away. That's too far to see how far you have to run. It's insane. I mean, you can't, like, make out all the details and stuff, but, but I mean, you can see the end of it. And so, so you run down, and then right about the halfway point of the loops, right at 2K, there's one cross street. Okay. And that's the only cross street on the whole thing because it's closed down to traffic. Okay. Um, and and right that's right where the finish line was. And on the road there, they wrote really, really big, uh, world's first sub-two-hour marathon, October 12, 2019, Elliot Kipchoge, 159.40. Does that stay on the road, do you think? Or do you oh, think yeah. it's just... No, it is painted. It is painted. Yeah. And like that, a yellow line painted? Like so, yes. Like, yeah, yeah, like yellow line painted. And it's big. It covers a whole road. It's bigger than this room. And when you were there, was anybody around taking pictures next to yes. you? Yes. Yes, there was. There was one other dude. That's there really was. That's super cool. Um, and so when I first got on it... Did you get a picture of that? Yeah. I took a, 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 yeah, so, so I, I took a regular picture of it. And actually, the regular picture of it, it was cool because you can see how straight... You can see the other end of the course from oh, right there okay. in the middle. And that's the one I put on Strava. And then the one, like the <laughs> selfie yeah, one, the selfie one is the one that I posted on, on Facebook. But you can't, you can see that there's writing there, but you can't totally see what it is. Okay. Because, you know, my face is getting so in the way. So if we want to see the 159 writing, we go to Strava. So, absolutely. So, actually, you had another reason to join Strava. Okay. Um, but, you know, if you want to, I'll text it to you afterwards. Um, but uh, But that actually was, like, gave me a boost because it's like, okay, they know it's a big deal. Right? Yeah. They, like, painted in permanent paint on the ground the and they, city is acknowledging this amazing you know athletic achievement really. exactly so. exactly um but yeah so as i came up to it for the first time there was a dude kind of standing there and taking a picture um and there's plenty of other people running on the course and people riding their bikes on the course and there's horses and carriages on the course and things like that but there's no cars so i was able to just kind of run down the street what are the horses and carriages doing so at, at seven o'clock in the morning, they were just, I don't know what they were doing at seven o'clock in the morning when I was there. That sounds um, so European. So, but, <laughs> but yeah, I imagine it's just sort of, I mean, it's Vienna, Austria, right? Yeah, I mean, it's they're, amazing. They're, I mean, yeah. it's how I imagine it to be, yeah, but. Yeah. But it was super cool. So I ran exactly two hours. I ran, I ran right at 18 miles basically in that, that two hour stretch. Yeah. That's um, what I run for a two hour. Easy so well, it wasn't an easy run. I did, <laughs> I did push it in the back half there, but I had to try, I had to, tr I didn't want to like cut a loop short. But at the same time, I didn't want to finish, and I wanted to finish it two hours. Right, it had to be two, two hours, hours right? Line. And and then, and the the course was a mile from the, the start, oh, the from start. from okay. from from the boat and from the start, right? And so I had to try and get back as close there as I could because it was thirty eight degrees, right? Cold. So yeah. I didn't want to finish it two hours and then have to walk a mile and a half in in order to get back to the boat, right? That would have been bad news. Major and, first world problem. Yeah, major first world. Well, this whole thing is a first world endeavor. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> the whole river. <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding <laughs> and then i got off and went and had brits uh lunch at the ritz carlton in vienna which is serious i actually did that i believe you yeah so um and it was wonderful um so yeah happy new year by the way thanks you too thanks thanks all right so speaking of shoes let's talk about his shoes real quick okay so he was wearing the alpha flies which are highly highly controversial talk about that um so we have we did a podcast on it several weeks ago. Um, they have, you know, the carbon plate with the very, very thick foam midsole. Um, and Don't they have three carbon plates? I believe they have three carbon yeah. plates. Um, and I believe that they are under 
some type of IAAF. I don't think of all the other versions of the Nike Vaporfly we've seen, these specific ones are the ones that they want to regulate the mm -hmm. most heavily. Um, I think we discussed how the midsole thickness would be, would just make the most sense in yeah. the way to regulate it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that we have seen, well, I guess we haven't had a world marathon major since New York, right? Right. So the question will be is, are we going to see people wearing the Alpha Fly? What's the next one? Tokyo. Yeah, in Tokyo. So are we going to, you know, what, what, what will have happened between then and Tokyo? Um, but yeah, I mean, if there's no regulation on these shoes, I think we're going to keep seeing people wear them. Um, it's enough that the performances that we've seen both on the men and women's side come through is, is pretty outstanding. Uh, so I don't think you can deny the technology in the shoe being a performing enhancement factor. I guess it's just a matter of how far can we take shoe technology to aid in, you know, fast marathon times. Right. Um, but Kipchoge, we're going to see him a lot, right? We're going to see him in London, right? He yeah. committed to London, and we're going to yep. see him probably run the Olympics. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see. He, he hasn't said anything about the Olympics. I presume so. Okay. Particularly he for him. No? So I don't think he okay, is. Sorry. But I mean, particularly for him, though, since he has such a keen sense of history, like being a two-time Olympic marathon champion yeah. is something that would appeal to him. So I'm most interested in what shoes is he going to wear for London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. Absolutely. For sure. All right, so that reminds me of a couple of quick side notes. Uh, speaking of world marathon majors and vapor flies, I saw a graphic this week that of the, and I only saw the men's one, I didn't see the women's one, that of the 18 podium finishers at the six world marathon majors, um, first, second, third place, six races, 18 podium finishers, um, 16 of them were wearing vapor flies. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of me wonders is, is the shoe definitively proven to the point where nobody's even going to try something else because right mentally i think everybody who toes the line feels like if they don't have this shoe on i agree they don't have a chance i agree um and you see other professional runners who are sponsored by other shoe companies switching to the vaporfly because right. the shoe brand is saying okay well we want you to have an equal chance we're paying you to run fast we want you to you know get on the podium or, or finish as high as you can you have stuff in your contract that will give you a bonus if you run X time. So wear the shoes because right. everyone else is. And right. you don't want to be at an inherent disadvantage because your shoe is not the Vaporfly or right. a version of it. Right. So, um, yeah. A, I mean, A6 is working on run right now. The Skechers one comes out in February. They're plated shoe. So. Yeah, I mean, Saucony's got one out. Jared Ward yeah. is going to wear it in right. the trials. Endorphin Pro, is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. Um, Brooks has one. I mean, I think Des has been wearing the Brooks one since 2018. So okay. um, if you go back and look, I think since Boston 2018, she's in a solid black pair of racing shoes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we're seeing him hit the market. Hoka was probably, what, the next one to come out. Right. Um, with that Carbon X and Carbon Rocket. But still, even the Carbon Plate, it's not... The umph is on the Vaporfly next percent, you know, Alpha Fly. So right, right. We'll see if they get regulated. For sure. All right. So another kind of wrinkle of that that one dimension, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say because you've raced a marathon in them, of course, um, as have I. I've raced two marathons in them now, and and I read a piece a couple months ago, and we've talked at long length about the Vaporflies and how they actually work. But I read a piece a couple months ago that was suggesting that the reason why the Vaporfly and especially the Alpha Fly worked was not necessarily because of a spring-like action that they had or because of the returns you get from the foam, but rather because the foam and the plates dampen the vibrations that go up through your legs. Which basically saves your leg muscles. Right. 
which is my experience and a lot of people's experience in the aftermath of having run a marathon PR, close to a half marathon PR in them, is that I'm walking away almost unscathed mm-hmm. versus needing a week to just walk down the stairs normally. Right. That is that is the most profound part of those shoes. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely felt less sore after Flying Pig. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether... I, I wasn't inclined to, to, to assign that to the shoes, but maybe I should have. Um, but if you think about it, like, like that's what compression socks are supposed to do as well. At least that's one of the selling points of compression socks, right? Is that, that if you think about when, you're, when your foot hits the ground, uh, a shock wave, a vibration goes up through your legs, and that causes micro damage to your muscles, right? Well, if your shoes stop that from happening, then the micro damage doesn't occur. But that's actually kind of what compression socks say too. They say that they, they not only promote circulation, but they also dampen a lot of those muscle vibrations that can lead to damage over time. I think the difference with compression socks is it's got to be kind of 20 to 30, you know, in the measurements. And I think that the research shows that they're more proven in recovery and not yeah, for as sure. much in the actual for sure. race. Okay, um, so so, so. I, I agree with you on that. And, I, and that's the reason why I don't wear, wear, wear compression socks during the race. But... But that being said, if it turns out that that's the primary mechanism by which the Vaporfly or the Alphafly actually helps, does that mean that we in turn then need to ban compression socks as well? No. Why not? Because the compression socks aren't enhancing the performance as the athlete is performing. Sure they are. Right? I mean, okay, so... so proven to. Okay, okay. And so, so if there was better, if there was better research that that wearing compression socks that have a dampening effect on muscular vibrations made you faster, then they should probably be banned the same way. But like you said, the the research isn't really there for during race; it's more there for. I think recovery. you would have to be able to make the claim like USA Swimming did back in what 2010-11 yeah. when the when they started banning those bodysuits. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to have some type of evidence like that to get away with banning compression socks, I think, mm-hmm. during an actual race. But, um, yeah, I mean, compression socks to me are kind of doesn't match my outfit. Is it something <laughs> that makes me feel like I'm going to be fast You wear today. compression socks, don't you? I hardly ever wear them. Thank you very much. Okay, all right. All right. Um, I mean, maybe if it's really cold, but I don't want to wear tights, so <laughs> shorts and socks. It's a whole, you know, it's a whole debate the night before a race. If it's going to be in the 30s, <laughs> is it tights? Is it socks and shorts? And But uh, I don't think that you know, they're performance enhancing in the way that the vapor flies are. And I don't think that there's anything out there that's compelling enough that would send any uh, international body of regulation to, to kind of research it or try to ban them. Yeah. That. But definitely not as sexy either. Definitely not, definitely not getting a segment on, uh, on the daily show. No. Like, like, like the, vapor, like the alpha flies did. They are so. probably the least so. sexy piece of running gear out there. <laughs> Folks swear by them. Folks that do like them swear by them. All right. So anyway. It's a security blanket. So you're probably right. But I kind of feel like the Vaporfly is a security blanket as well. I mean, you talk about the psychological thing. They're going to make you run faster. (laughs) So, but, but, but it's like that level of conviction is the reason why it's a security blanket. Because, because, yeah, I just, I, I, I just wonder whether, I, I, I wonder whether the psychological benefits are outweigh even the physiological benefits, but I don't know. I think the psychological benefits are deep and cannot be underestimated. I agree with you on that. Um, I certainly, I 100% agree with you on that. Um, Last kind of, you know, tidbit of news on the Vaporflies since we talk so much about Vaporflies. So, of course, we had to spend some pretty good amount of time here talking about them on our our yearly recap here. um, Is to say that, did you see that the the Hokoni Ikiden, um, which is the biggest Ikiden in, in Japan, so Japan is insane about their ecadence, right? Yeah. Um, like to the detriment. The whole country. 
Yeah, to the detriment of their professional running scene. <laughs> I would agree. With that. Um, and so, so they're they they are not all that charged about the Olympics, not all that charged about marathoning, at least not relative to the way they feel about their academics and their nationally televised events and their 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 the Super Bowls of of uh, Japan. Not even Japanese running, but like of Japan. Yeah. Um, and the biggest one is called the Hakone Ekiden, and it takes place right at the New Year, around like January third, January fourth, something like that. Um, and last year. 52% of the people in the Ekaden were wearing ASICs and something like 23% were wearing uh, Mizuno. And both ASICs and Mizuno are, of course, Japanese brands. And what are the stats for this year? This year, 82% of people were wearing Vaporflies. So there you go. And 9% were wearing ASICs and something like 7% were wearing were wearing. Uh, what uh, brand? There is no other brand. Yeah, right Mizuno. Now. <laughs> Mizuno. Yeah, and, and like just complete, complete change. Yeah, I mean, if you look down, you just see a stream of neon green or hot mm-hmm. pink or. Mm-hmm. Or the special Ekaden colorway that they'd released just in time for the Hakone Ekaden. Did I miss that? So you might have one of them is, is green. White? One of them's green and the other one's orange. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so, so they literally have two tone shoes now. I don't um, think I'll ever wear two different color shoes. But... You say okay. that now. <laughs> We'll check back in with you on January, what is it, January 8th of 2021, and we will see how that wearing two tones of shoes did. Okay. Now, next, we're going to talk about your favorite topic. We're going to talk about cycling. Oh, I might have to bail a little bit. Here. <laughs> I mean, I at least asked to talk about something Ironman, but if you're going to go with cycling, then I'm just going to Well, there was Well, there, there was a course record this year at Kona. There was. Um, by, uh, by Jan Ferdano, who is a worthy course record holder. Um, I was struck, and actually, I, I was thinking about this when I was in Germany last week. That that um, both Kona titles were won this year by by German triathletes. Yeah. Um, the women's is, race was far better. I agree. More surprising than the men's. But, I agree. I agree. Um, Anna Haug is great, and and Danielle Reef was just a non-factor in the race. Yeah. You don't really see that, um, but I I like seeing it's one thing that I I, I like seeing Jan win. I don't so, know. I know people are kind of oh, sick of it, but. I'm okay with it. He's he's just a nice guy. Yeah. He's a good sport, I think. I don't yeah. know. Okay, I, I you know what? I'll agree with you on that cuz I remember what his first Kona, I want to say he finished third. And I think I think it's the year that Sebastian Keenley won, which was 2014, which was last year I was there. Um, I, th- I think he finished third. It might have been the next year was his first one. But one way or another, his first year, he had like a mechanical or something and he didn't win. Um, and he was totally cool about finishing third. And he was like fired up for the guy who won and stuff like that. Yeah. And I and I and I remember thinking that was really really cool at the time. Yeah. That that he could be like really sour grapesy about it and jealous and all sorts of ugly things. And at least that's not the face he put on the finish line. Yeah. Which I, mean, I thought I was really cool. Iron Man's such an individual sport, but when you get down to those podium finishers, they all seem genuinely happy for the next person, no mm-hmm. matter who's standing in which spot. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And Tino O'Donnell finished second, which I was glad to see as well. That was awesome. <laughs> so it was very cool. It was very cool. Um, but the big story in cycling this year was about the rise of the next generation. Um, and so youth in cycling. Um, the World Championships was won by a guy from Denmark. It was actually the first person ever from Denmark ever to win the World Championship Men's Elite Road Race um, named Mads Pedersen. He was 23 years old. Um, and then the time trial, there's a guy, the men's time trial, there's a, a, a Belgian named Remco Evenpole. He finished second in the time trial. He's only 19 years old. Um, 
in the women's time trial, there's an American who's only 22 years old named Chloe Deigert, and she ends up winning the time trial, the overall world championship. Um, the most exciting cyclist right now is a guy named Matthew Vanderpoel, who's from the Netherlands. Um, he's won the world cyclocross championships twice in a row, and he's actually on his way to winning again. Um, and he had probably the most impressive race that any of us have seen in a long time at the Amstel Gold Race back in the spring. Um, you had a 20-year-old Slovenian, a guy named Tadej Pojicar, uh, who won the Tour of California, which is the biggest race and the most prestigious in the United States. Um, and probably the best example is uh, a Colombian, first time a Colombian ever won the Tour de France, a guy named Egan Bernal, 22 years old. Um, he became the youngest winner of the Tour de France for more than 100 years. Um, what is the state of doping in cycling right now? What is the climate of... How did you pivot to that? Because it's somewhat related to what we were actually, talking about with running. Actually, it is related. So, and, it actually, and, and that's actually related to what I was talking is, about And that is, I here. feel, where my most, most of my interest with the sport lies. I'm mostly just giving you a hard time about it because that's actually a pretty good pivot. Because a lot of people say that the reason why yeah. there's the rise of this new generation is because they've gotten the doping out. Um, and that it's actually an indication of clean sport. That's great. Is that, that all these kind of older doped athletes are kind of being cleaned out um and so so you have this rise of this new exciting um tough talented um undoped generation and that's actually pretty exciting um most people think the reason why is because cycling's actually become much more professional over the course of the past five or six years um and they've started a lot more youth programs and started a lot more um uh pipelines between the youth programs to the professional teams and that's probably true as well i think it's probably all good above but to answer your question a little bit more more uh, specifically i think that that it's probably in cycling in a better place than it is in track and field okay um because they've spent so much time on it over the course of the last little while um well they're what eight to ten years ahead of so yeah um, what's going on right now yeah yeah basically um but uh, and i think importantly there has been um, some um, some teams and and some individuals in cycling that have really um, uh, broken through in terms of pushing back on the culture of doping that was in cycling, uh, and I think that cycling has talked very frankly about how widespread and systemic and and uh, uh, ubiquitous doping was twenty years ago, okay. and I think owning that actually has made some progress. The problem with that, though, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this. The problem with sort of saying, hey, we have a doping problem, and we're going to own it, and we're going to fight against it, then you kind of get labeled as like a totally dope sport. And I think that happened to cycling. I think it's happening with track and field. But like if you can just do what, do what baseball does and say, oh, no, we don't have any doping problem, <laughs> and then nobody thinks you're doping, even though but like... you don't have the Major League Baseball money to kind of do that and just make it go away like that yeah. without really proving okay. that you're putting in the measures necessary in order to clean up the sport. Right, right. So so to answer your question, I think it's I think it's I think it's good. Um, there's definitely like as a fan of cycling, it's kinda like watching track and field that you see something really amazing and you want to be a big fan, you're like, hope he's clean. Yeah. Ooh, I hope she's not doping. Do you know what I mean? So then there is still a little bit of a permeation of mm-hmm. Sure. sentiment over the sport. Sure, but. sure. I just don't think it's at the, it's, it's not at the heart of the sport and it's not a normalized part of the process That's the way great. that it was in the late 1990s. Yeah. Late 1990s, everybody used. Yeah. Um, and if you didn't, you didn't, you weren't able to compete and so you just didn't, you just didn't, you weren't there, right? I mean, like literally everybody used. Right. Um, and, and now the people that use are more pariahs. Um, they're still there, of course. Um, but, but, they're a lot of them being caught and and they're being 
you know, cast out, which is good, which is good. All right, last big story we're going to talk about. Since I had to mention the youth in cycling, and I know that you were learning how to hear about it, but the last thing we're going to talk about is the number of folks qualifying for the Olympic marathon trials. Yeah, uh, Atlanta Track Club's going to host the marathon trials here, and I think we're right at a little bit less than eight weeks to go. Um, exactly. February 29th, and they did it so that everybody who qualifies, including the qualifiers who only achieve the B standard, will have their entries paid for and their lodging paid for. Mm -hmm. And I think that if they had known that, <laughs> what are we at, 370 women? We're at 358 women 358 and 168 women men. And 168 men were going to qualify. And 526 people. 526 people. Does the Omni Hotel hold 526 people? Does it have 526 rooms? Yeah. Well, they're going like, to probably like, be two to a room. Yeah, right. But you got to host coaches. And anyway, so... Um, yeah, there's, we haven't seen an Olympic marathon trials with this, with remotely this many qualifiers, either on the men or women's side. And I would venture to guess that, uh, with the Houston marathon coming up, that's mm -hmm. kind of the last big fast course. So right. I bet we get another dozen women there, mm -hmm. last chance qualifiers, uh, yeah. that'll just turn around and run the trials six to seven weeks later because it's the trials. And if you're going to qualify, right. you're going to run it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think the most interesting thing about the marathon trials of course, who's going to make the team for Tokyo, but also what is this going to do to the Olympic trial standards in the marathon yeah. for the next quad? I agree. And I think we're going to see a major uh, a major shift for the women, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe also for the men, but not nearly as much. Current standards for the women, it's 113 for a half marathon and 245 for a marathon, right? Correct. For the men, it's uh, it's 104 for a half marathon and, and 219. Uh, 219 for a full marathon. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you think is going to shift? Um, so okay. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I think, uh, first of all, did you see Peter Bromka run a 219.02 at CIM? Oh, my God. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. Okay. Um, so I think, I'm not sure how the men's standard will shift. I think they'll come down again for the women's half because that has repeated, repeatedly been shown not to be a great indicator of how fast you can run a full marathon. But I honestly would not be surprised if the B standard dropped all the way to 239. Mm -hmm. There's too many women under 240 mm -hmm. if you look at that list of qualifiers. Um, so I think 239 for a B standard and... I don't even know that we actually need the A standard anymore since the IAAF put in the Olympic standard of right. 229. Um, but it would make sense that if the IAAF is going to keep those standards for what you have to have to run in the marathon in the Olympics, that, you know, the United States Olympic Committee would make the A standard equal to what the IAAF Olympic standard is. Because that's really what it's been up until right. this year when they made that radical change and the standards for the Olympic trials for the United States marathon team had already been set two and a half years ago. Right. Real, um, real quick, talk about the difference between A standard and B standard. Um, so the actual time? Not the actual time, but what's the difference between somebody who qualifies A and qualifies B? Well, you have to have the A standard to go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But again, they that all changed when they started the gold label races mm -hmm. and put in the oh, international time of 229. So I don't know that the A and the B standard is as significant anymore for the marathon. At least not this year. At least not okay, this Okay, so, so, so what it used to be is that you could run in the trials with the B standard, but you weren't going to be able to actually run in the games without the A standard. Correct. Right? Correct. Um, and so 
So, so yeah, you, you, you kind of had those two separate standards, but as far as whether you get to go toe the line in Atlanta, all you had to have was a B standard. Yeah, right? and we see this with, with Worlds also, but especially with the Olympics, a lot of times you'll have uh, 10,000 meters, like if we talk about the track races, and mm-hmm. you'll have the top three at the trials, but if they didn't run a, a time that's the A standard or faster, and the top three, not all of them have the A standard, then you could have the first, second, and fifth place finisher at the right. trials go to the Olympics because the fifth place finisher has the A standard and the third right. and the fourth doesn't. Right. Right. So um, the time standards for the marathon for the Tokyo Olympics are absolutely the most confusing thing, I would say, in the United States track and field right now, mm-hmm. um, just because the international regulation came in and changed it all up. So right. Right. it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, for the next quad with the A and B standard. Right, right, for sure. Um, one way or another, you don't have to have had the, the A standard in order to qualify for the Olympic team or qualify for the Olympics um, because they did make the Olympic trials a gold label race. And if you finish in the top five at a gold label race, you're qualified for the Olympics regardless of what your time is. Yeah. Um, and so, so the people who finish in the top three are going to be the people who uh, make the respective men's and women's uh, Olympic teams. Yeah, uh, and that push by the Atlanta Track Club to get that gold gold label on the race, um, it really preserves the sanctity of the trials. Mm -hmm. Because if there's any race that can go any which way on any given day, and that's kind of what the marathon is all about, is who shows up ready on that day and whose body cooperates on that day, Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be, you know, it it would relegate the trials to much less meaningful if the top three if you didn't know if you finished in the top three whether you were going to go to the olympics right right, so um, i think it's good for the sport it's going to be good for the spectators that day and it's going to be the best of course for the women and men who are competing because they know top three secures their spot on the Mm -hmm. olympic team right on right on 526 qualifiers, uh, including some friends of the podcast. Haley Chura, who we uh, interview on the podcast. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, she's a pro triathlete, long course triathlete, and basically said, you know what? I think I can run under 245. And she did. And she did. She ran 243 at the California National Marathon wearing her vapor flies. Um, <laughs> and so um, uh, Lori Knowles and Morgan Van Gorder, I mostly mentioned them because I did a workout with them this morning. <laughs> Speedy George. Fast <laughs> um, friends. So, so, And Morgan we're actually going to be bringing onto the podcast over the course of the next couple of weeks here um, and she's going to talk about kind of where she came from and the process of training to qualify for the trials and then of course preparing for the trials um, and then we will bring Michelle the cool older girl back to, to a, a trials preview younger than you for so sure. so but you're the cool older girl um, uh, we will bring Michelle back and, and probably Patrick too to do an actual preview of the trials when we get a little bit closer to them but like you said they're uh, less than eight weeks away now, so so right around the corner. Yeah. Nicole De Mercurio, another friend of the podcast who we've talked about before from Zap Fitness. Do you think um, she'll be ready? So we'll Is see. She on land. So she's we'll training see. in Tallahassee. So I assume so, but I don't know. I mean, she had a back-to-back injury, so yeah. I mean, it'd be great to see her run. But did get does Galen Rupp? Did he qualify? Does he have qualifying time? Yes, George. How? Chicago two years ago. Oh, so Chicago two? What? Yeah, of course. When was. I was there. 2018. Well, but, but, oh, but he okay. Has but he does, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. He totally has an Olympic trials qualifying time. Yeah, he doesn't have an Olympic qualifying standard yet. And so, yeah. Okay. I got it. I just knew there's some issue, but yeah, of course he does. Yeah. And, he, and he ran 206 in Prague, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't seen him healthy and it'll be almost two years right. from February. So, or at least a solid year and a half. So it'll be interesting. Right. But we could get into the nitty gritty on on the preview and every day. person who might make it on the preview day. Absolutely. Look forward to that. Because it actually, so going back to like Jan Frodeno and, and watching races and all that sort of thing, it is 
fairly wide open. It is super wide open. Yeah. I mean, there's a solid eight women who have as good a chance as the other seven. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And I would say on the men's side, it's probably like probably six or seven that, that, that have a really yeah, solid chance. I think Galen, Jared, Scott Fobble, Scott Smith. I mean, you've got a few, you know. You just named four people and only three get to go. I know. But you've got <laughs> at least, there's at least three more that I'm thinking of. So. so. I can't wait to get into this. I so, just, so, so might be a separate podcast. Larry Trono. There you go. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. So well, on that note, we will uh, we will sign off with uh, with good things to come. Uh, Michelle, Frank, thanks for being here. Any big resolutions for 2020? Um, well, I just got training put back on my training peaks this week. Yeah, so you did. My big resolution is to follow my training schedule. And really, I guess I need to start doing my strides again. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest thing that I need to get back to focusing on fantastic resolution i knew you would love to hear that i do love to hear that i can think of nothing better to have been resolved than to to do your strides (laughs) very good very good cat bradley your buddy would agree so another friend of the podcast would agree so absolutely uh very good david roach would agree so everybody would agree (laughs) everybody would agree they're just so annoying (laughs) (laughs) thanks for joining us everybody That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. Don't forget to reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. We're on Instagram now, at mostpleasantexhaustion. And you can download us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. ITL Coaching and Performance can be found at itlcoaching.com at ITL Coaching on Twitter, Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at BluePineappleTravel.com, at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And SlayerX can be found at SlayerX.com, at Facebook.com slash HereForSlayerX, that's the number four, HereForSlayerX, on Twitter, at OfficialSlayerX, and on Instagram, HereForSlayerX. Don't forget to use the Pleasant2019 discount code for 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.